it's me, isn't it? Because I'm hosting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to um, today's episode of the Sound of Vision podcast. I am joined by Jay. Hello. And um, it's just Jay, but yeah, yeah. If you're expecting a list there, then <laughs> um, you're in for a surprise. It's just the um, the man himself and me. Nobody else could make it. They're all stopped by the army. Yeah. Um, if you thought the um, pandemic was bad news, you just wait till this whole army thing hits the um, it hits the fan. If it's the wrong expression, but there's 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 something going on. Go with it. Go with it. Oh. There's a great big fan of being operated by the army. It's blasting everyone out of their seats. We're taped to our chairs right now in order to survive I might the, fan, the pandemic. <laughs> Every, everything Ooh. in my room is, is taped down and we're upside down. It's, it's yeah. hell. The military have gotten out of control. It, there's, there's, I, I, I should be screaming right now. I'm barely containing my fear for the future. Damn. It's hard yes. times. But the show must go on, as they say, um, and we will be talking about the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, uh, which I briefly introduced on the last episode, I believe. Um, but to remind you, if you hadn't listened to that one, this is a film basically about a load of um, upper middle class French people trying to have dinner around their houses they keep on arranging to have dinner around your house around my house around his house but it just keeps on going wrong and um there is something there i think a good way to open the analysis on this film is that they can't quite swallow um they can't quite oh there's an expression it's on the tip of my tongue you're trying to um, make a food pun i no i i hopefully not hold on I'm, I'm going to be unprofessional here and just bring up the BFI um, summary. Are you yes. going to get Mark Commode to, to do all the talking? I, that would be very cheeky. Um, I will read this short paragraph because I thought it summed it up very well. So, six well-to-do characters hoping to have a meal together are repeatedly frustrated in their plans by the various strangers they encounter. Or is their failure to eat really the consequence of their own complacency? deceits and insecurities uh well, yeah that kind of kind of rounds it up would you agree jay yeah yeah absolutely mm. it um it was a weird it was a weird situation i was expecting more i was happy with what i was given um but i i had been led to believe that it was going to be a bit more explicitly absurd than it was which me that, too yeah that's no criticism on the film itself but um perhaps on i don't know the discourse surrounding it maybe people have made it into something that's not and i think if i were to recommend it to people which which i would definitely i would stress that it's it's a really simple film about a really complex situation. Mm. I agree. Um, you get the sense that 
there is yeah that general simplicity to what's going on it's literally people kind of talking about trivial things like how to drink a glass of martini and kind of bringing yeah. in their um their chauffeur to so that he downs it all and they say ah, that's not how you drink a martini um and then berate him endlessly for it behind his back yes um and there's just it's almost a film with vignettes really it's almost a film many different scenes that I almost think could be switched around and it would still have the same effect um, to me the film seems to have two distinct parts but they are blurred so I, I've contradicted myself there but what I mean is that um, the sort of first half of the film is a lot about just trying to you think it's about them trying to arrange this one uh, dinner the first mix up is that um, they've got the dates wrong uh, and they've come around, well, one of the couples, it's the group of six friends and they've come around their house, but they weren't expecting them on this day and she's in her dressing gown. It's all of it. Um, but then in the second half of the film, it seems to turn into an Inception-like narrative of dreams within dreams. Um, it's interesting, yes, to describe this film as Inception-like because they're very Going different. Going well to Nolan, I see. They're at the, yes, I am. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Okay, we'll go um, with that. Th Yeah, this is like, well, it's just the fact that they wake up from their dream and you're like, okay, um, but then that is still a dream. They're constantly waking up. It's almost as if, if I were to be so bold as to say that um, they cannot break the cycle of um, constant disassociation with reality that um, these upper middle-class people are so out of tune with what's going on. They can't even wake up from their own dreams. You know, there is a very, there, there's lots of points of reference in this film to kind of poke at and kind of think, oh, that's interesting if I, you know, look at it from this certain angle. Um, but for me personally, I just don't think it gels together as a whole, as a, as a coherently like really impressive film. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it's just missing that one I don't know, just maybe for me it, there was a problem in that I watched it when I was very tired I think this is a film you don't want to be tired while you're watching it because that made it seem more boring than it actually was and when I re-watched part of it the next day I was thinking oh this is great you know um, but it, there's, it, it's weird because it's so it's so weird but it's also really gentle as a film in many places and most of it um, I'd just like to confirm Arthur is staying by the seaside, dear listener, which is why you can probably hear seagulls. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I apologise on the sea. They, they seem to be noisier. I'm in Cornwall right now. Um, if we have a moment, I could actually just close the window and that will do something. I, I understand your point about the whole film not gelling together, and I think that was my... I wouldn't say issue because it didn't it wasn't a major thing to me but I, I realized that it wasn't flowing as quickly as I would have liked it to in many places um, and I think that for a film that is so absurd and, and in some places weirdly obscene I feel it needed a pace that kept moving, especially when it was dipping in and out of a really banal 
seems uh, the upper class and the really, really wacky, crazy, absurd depictions of what life is like in the upper class. And that, that's the bit that I liked about it the most. And I feel it was saved 100% by its commentary on the upper class and its depictions because they, they were something else. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, this film, right? This film could be a very different film. With it didn't have the constant dark humor, uh, which is basically poking fun at the bourgeoisie. But it's also, I think, it's more than that. And I find it interesting. I read that um, in the script there was no mention of the word bourgeoisie the whole time. They didn't decide on the title of the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie um, until right before release. Uh, and there's no mention of the word bourgeoisie in the script as such. So it's interesting. It's very easy to think that this film is completely about um, the bourgeoisie, but it's also, I just think it goes broader than that. There's a lot of stuff about one of the uh, main characters. Um, he is kind of the governor of a colonial, um, uh, a country that's been colonized by France or, yeah, or it's his own republic of sort. It's called Miranda. It's made up, but it's it's kind of supposedly in Latin America. Um, and we what? Yeah, kind of rewatching a few clips before this. Um, you start. I think it's one of those films. The rewatch, you it kind of makes more sense if looking at reviews from you know the average person, such as on Letterboxd. Um, not to say that. You know, People on letterbox are average. I think they're above average if you use the letterbox. There's my uh, elitist uh, opinion. Um, basically, um, I forget where I was going now, but you were praising the, the letterboxes. I, I was. Shouldn't do that. See, I, I'm just prone to. It's, it's, it's the uh, pandering that that gets me. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So the. Oh yeah. That I think you start to notice the little details. That's what I was going to say. Um, one thing that is very jarring in the film is the constant kind of when they start talking in certain points. Uh, you get noises. So one example is um, the guy who is um, the governor of the Republic of Miranda. He's um, sort of not trapped but he's confronted the um this uh young sort of spy woman who is from miranda who is trying to kind of meddle and kind of uh, um, i don't know count um an insurgent of sorts he calls her a terrorist i think yeah and she is she starts talking about mal um zedong and then suddenly you kind of hear i can't remember a train going by which is obviously kind of completely uh, unfeasible. Well, we haven't seen any train tracks, but um, these these kind of noises come in at many moments, obscuring the dialogue. Uh, and to me, that seems quite clearly a um, a reference to the fact that um, when when it's convenient, that these upper middle class people are able to just not listen to what um, other people are saying. But then also, it will cover up what they. Um, they, um, it will cover them up as well, the noise. I don't know, did, did you also notice this, Jen? Yeah, yeah, I thought, 
although I didn't think much of it at the time, I thought, oh, that's a nice bit of sound I was doing. Um, thinking about it afterwards and, and thinking about it now that you said it, I think it, it does have a very clear relevance. And I think specifically in today's culture, you notice a lot of upper class, um, bourgeoisie, just using everyday life around them as sort of a deflection for, for their own problems and a cover-up for the things that they've said. There's all sorts of goings-on that just draw this blanket over, which is, which is this normal life, like a train. I can't remember any other specific examples or more specific mm. than a train. I think at one point there was the sound of the artillery shells outside. Oh, yes. But I, I did I think, enjoy the sound yeah. editing, the sound mixing. It, mm, it comes up, but one, I think the best example of it is when um, they get released from prison and they're all arrested. It's quite funny, actually, when um, the police officer um, comes into the house just as they're about to leave. Oh. Yeah. Um, and and literally it just arrests them one by one. You know, um, it starts off, they, they come in for one person and it turns out they come in for more. And then the women start saying, you can't do that. And they say, well, as it turns out, we will, we shall be arresting you too. Um, and yeah, I did like that moment. Um, but then they're released and it comes from a phone call to the police um, station from a very high up official. And when asked to explain, oh, what, why should we release them? You can't hear what he says. So it's yeah. the covering up of the tracks of the um, corruption. That's what I saw it as. And uh, you start to kind of see these little moments um, playing into the film uh, and helping with the overall message. Yeah, moving on a little bit from the sound. I think the, the image or, or the thing that stayed with me the most, and when I was watching, I thought that's that's incredible was and here spoiler alert we talk about spoilers you should know this um right at the very end when the whole group has you know, spoiler alert and they've all been shot um when the ambassador is hiding under the table and the only reason he is caught is that he sticks his hand up to go and get some more food and i thought that mm. that was the, of, of course the most explicit piece of um imagery wouldn't it yeah um imagery and commentary on on the bourgeoisie but some he, he chose some lamb he chose some <laughs> lamb over his life and it did look like good lamb to be fair but well it's the greed isn't it it's it just is. the um i love that shot underneath the table um yeah. close up of him is kind of looking up still kind of focused on chewing the lamb um, but sort of watching them intently, he does look very much like a pig um, in that shot, I think. But then he wakes up, and that was a dream as well. It's interesting, the idea that all of this is going on inside their heads as though they are self-aware on some level, but not enough to actually kind of fully make anything out of it. If you, uh, if you watch the scenes where they wake up from a dream, it's often that um, they try to recall the dream and they kind of vaguely get it right. But if you just watched, you kind of think, well, you kind of summarised it slightly, but you've kind of missed it. Like when you try to remember your own dreams, it's hard to remember the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they realise what it is, but they don't see, they don't see it as anything 
out of the ordinary that it's still fine. Mm. I, I shot the army man. I can't remember what rank he was. And... Yeah, oh, I, okay. I love that. Um, what was it? Um, I dreamed. No, I dreamed that um, the character's name. I forget. Um, uh, Antoine. I was like French name. Insert French name. I forget what his name. Is. I dreamed that, that Anton dreamed that we were in a, you know, the whole thing was a play and it just gets more and more absurd. Um, and that's really when I liked the film. That one. I was so oh, upset really? that that was a dream. When that curtain rose, I was just like, oh, <gasps> what? Um, and then, it's a and shocking then moment, isn't it? Like, well, I love lots. I love those sorts of things. And especially in a film that was so so critical of of these people i was really thinking it was going to go to a dark place um having them all being in a theater piece and then maybe mm, not dreaming about it. it yeah sort of like that and i i thought it was going down that route and i was really hoping it would stick with it but alas it, it went somewhere else and that was all right mm. i do agree i think that maybe one of the issues with this film is that there's constant waking up from the dreams you I, I, well it's disorientating on purpose isn't it but you almost want these dreams to be real but I, gets, i'm sure it that gets is... a little bit old i feel yes yes um and it was it was an interesting ending just um i wonder how how good of an ending that really was if he wakes up and then just kind of you know is hungry uh, he's dreamed that he's, you know, been a, he's about to be shot. You know, all his friends have been killed, he, and he's been eating the lamb underneath the table, and he just goes to his fridge and eats some cold meat. Um, and then, yeah, that, that's the film, isn't it? Um, it yeah, it's it said a lot. Um, as, as we mentioned, it's that very nonchalant greed that um, people take for granted the the amount of food they have. And I did enjoy that aspect of it, but um, I don't think I can't think of any way it would have ended that would have been more satisfying than. Yeah, how like do you that. end a film like that, really? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just the idea, isn't it, that they'll they'll keep on living their lives the same, that the cyclical nature of them never learning, um, they'll keep never on truly getting what they want. Road down that grassy road with the blue sky yes that no that is the ending isn't it actually this doesn't end with him eating the meat it's them walking down the road again i got that wrong i think the that's that's like the epilogue sort of thing is yes because that's the repeating image and that's that's the last shot but the ending i'm pretty sure is him with the meat yes those are really interesting those shots i mean I suppose it, it's completely symbolic, isn't it? They're they're in a rush to get somewhere. They're in the country, um, a country sort of um, lane, uh, but they they're going nowhere. Uh, but they're they they're going nowhere. But they are in a hurry. They're very... on the road to nowhere. Yeah. There you are. Well, I mean, maybe that song is really a portrait of the um, bourgeoisie. Wow, I'm liking know. that you word know talking heads talking more than heads me. Heads this. I was gonna say, this is this Let's is a good go episode. Down that rabbit hole. Um, but I, what did you think of that imagery, the, the road to nowhere? I'm gonna call it that now. Yes, um, 
I at first I just thought, what? You know, um, I'm watching a, the group of people. I, actually, what struck me now, now I do remember this now, is um, it was very Avengers esque. You know, when they all line up, <laughs> and it's like the squad roll out. You know. Oh yeah. Um, it's like the posse kind of. Um, yeah, let's go. Um, me, me and the boys hit the town, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I was like, ah, uh, yeah. They kind of looked, they almost looked quite powerful. I can't remember if there were sort of low angle shots of them, but um, they did almost look slightly foreboding. But then it's all, it's, that's kind of negated by the pole, them going nowhere. Uh, one shot has a couple of them sort of putting on their shoes and kind of still kind of getting changed. So they're not ready. Um, yeah, I mean, talking about it now, it all just kind of seems to um, put together this image of these upper middle class people as um, incompetent, um, deluded, uh, negative. But it's interesting because these people aren't so different from from us in a way. I mean, there's a lot of similarities, I would say. Uh, and you think about the broad scale of wealth, we are probably, you know, closer to them than we are to, um, you know, the, the lower side of things. Um, yeah. And I'm sure, you know, Bu- uh, um became very wealthy from his films, but he would have probably always considered himself a socialist. Um, yes, it, it's interesting. I would, I'm not saying the film has any hypocrisy in it. Um, but I think there is maybe the idea that there's there's an aspect of those characters in all of us, perhaps. Yeah, I think he he definitely knew that he had to make this film, that there was something important to say. I don't know whether you knew the context or I didn't know the context until the, the great Mr. Mark Mode introduced it to me on BFI Player. Um, but he interestingly said that the film or before making the film, Bunwell had, he had said, I'm retiring, I'm not making another film. Um, and then a few years later said, actually, I'm making a discreet channel for bourgeoisie. Um, because I think one of, some, or somebody he knew had said, um, or told him a story, I can't remember if it was, if it was true or not, but that's not the point. The point was that he had heard about, in some way, somebody turn or somebody having lots of guests turn up on their doorstep yes. demanding I, yeah I, I watched this just um an hour ago um one of his producer friends said oh I, uh, a funny thing happened to me the other day um i invited all my friends around and but they um came unexpectedly uh and that tickled him yeah to quote uh, and that's what mark Mode said um which i find interesting it's quite a mundane someone told me that story I think <laughs> okay yeah you know, but he made a whole flipping film out of it man you know he just went there he decided all right let's take that anecdote and let's just stretch it out to an hour and a half um the bit I can I'm just thinking about it now, the bit I could wrap my head around was um the was he a bishop the religious man in the uh, group. yeah his role in it because he seemed kind of part of them but also on the outskirts, um, he's got his own quest uh, line in a way um, that he avenges his parents' death. Um, he's asked to sort of um, bless a man who's a, 
was about to die. And it turns out this is the man who killed his parents, who was the old sort of um, gardener for them. Yeah. Um, and that's that's probably my favourite moment, actually, is that leading up to that. He gets a lift on the cart from a, um, an old farming this. lady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as you do, you have a bit of chit-chat while you're in transit. And uh, just before he goes into the barn to see the dying old man, she says, oh, I never liked Jesus. Um, as a child, I always detested him. <laughs> it's just out of nowhere. It's just hilarious. It's, it's never addressed after that. She says she's going to tell him why. And I'm like, oh, this is this is gold. Um, but in a way, I love that they just kind of left that. I mean, just the idea of anyone hating Jesus. I'm, you know, I'm not religious myself, but I think we can all agree that Jesus is not tend to be someone that um, is, is widely hated. He's kind of made he he made a name for himself, you know, for being quite um quite quite loved, uh, I would say, over the um, yeah, and that's what he's years. been for. <laughs> It's just great that she just... I never liked him. <laughs> yeah. You know. I, I did quite it's like that like, the yeah. bishop starts wielding a gun. No. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I, I did... My interpretation of that was that I think it was a bit of a stab at the church um, because I think the whole film took lots of different people from all different high-up areas. Um, you've got the ambassador, you've got... I'm pretty sure one of them was a businessman. You've got the, um, have I said the ambassador? Uh, but yep. they're all on the they're high up, they're high up in their yes. department, and they're all to some extent either corrupt, um, a bit misguided. They do things for themselves, and I think that mm. was done. Well, I was worth saying. The yeah, church is in it too. Yeah, I don't know church whether he was religious. And I don't know, Ooh. I don't know what his background was, but I'm sure he he certainly reached acclaim as a filmmaker. And I think he probably then got launched into this world of the bourgeoisie, and he he probably noticed some some corruption and thought, yeah, I've got to make this film to say to say something. And it certainly did. I have looked it up while you were talking there. He was indeed an atheist, which very much uh, yeah, Makes sense. doesn't surprise me um, after that depiction. Uh, but you can't fault... I mean, the bishop is a great gardener. I'll, I'll say that now, um, that he is almost presented as a moral force at the beginning. He comes in dressed as a gardener and they kind of shoo him out. Um, it's as though he's testing them. Sounds almost like a, a Bible story. Um, and he comes in dressed in his robes, and they're like, "Oh no, we're, oh, um, we're so sorry." Oh, you know, and they clearly just judged him on his appearance, and you know, treat other people just by their status. Um, but yes, no, he odd to me. That's like, yeah, okay. There were there's, there are odd moments in this film, and I don't mean just kind of the surreal stuff, but um, just like, what's that narrative point for? You know, some of them were like the um, dead manager of the restaurant. I thought that was really funny um, because I've got a dark sense of humour, but I think a lot of people would have seen that and thought, okay. And I think maybe it was yeah, a commentary on, on grief but, um, and how maybe some people wouldn't take into regard that, um, or they, they disregard grief for 
their own benefit, but yeah, I don't know. That was um, my they just want their dinner, don't they? Um, yeah. and we've all been there. I get you know, we all get hangry sometimes. We've all been to ask Italian, and they've got a dead man in the back, and we're like, We yeah. want our pizza, we, but we want our pizza, please. You know, can't you mourn later? Um, when you're hungry, you're hungry. Um, I think that's a th- that's definitely that could be the motto of the film, um, the tagline. Um, yeah, there are definitely. I feel like there's a moment in the. There's always a moment in this film. Uh, I think anyone could pick out something that they find funny. Actually, no, I did see one review that said uh, I didn't find this funny at all, but I still liked it, and they gave oh, it four stars. Okay. It's interesting. Um, yeah, definitely. I think the moments where it's the most sort of like shockingly absurd, the curtain kind of falling back into the theatre audience. Um, the rubber chicken as well. Oh, oh no, yeah. the bit that really got me was um, the, them running out of um, uh, tea, coffee, um, herbal tea, any all the kind of drinks that you could you would think a cafe would just have. And they say, I'm afraid we've been very busy. Um, we haven't got any more. And it does actually remind me um, of something that happened to me when we were on holiday in America and we were in New Mexico and we went to this um, Mexican restaurant and they'd run out of rice. It's like, what? Yeah. But... Really? Um, and I don't even know. I mean, that's, I just found that I like that because I was like, it just reminded me of that experience. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it ties into the whole film, though. How them running out of stuff, you know. It's, I'm, I'm, I think each moment has to be diagnosed on its own to kind of. Um, yeah, so it, it, I don't think the film had one message. I think it was like this: this whole book of stabs. Um, mm. Of each page had had another like slash at this this big monster um, that is the bourgeoisie. Yes, yes, it wasn't a flattering portrait. I'll, I'll say that. Um, no, I think um, the, the title's definitely um, uh, meant in ironic terms, or maybe it's just slight discreet, ever so slight charm of the bourgeoisie. Maybe, I mean, yeah. surely maybe there is because. Is ironic. Maybe I, I tell you what I think to, to kind of enjoy watching a film about these people you have to kind of find them entertaining in a way. Yeah. Um, I did find some of the characters the um the ambassador. Um, I don't know the, he, the conversation he has with the um terrorist so called terrorist in his house. I don't know they were they were just so their minds were so clouded it's just it's funny and um. There was some there was some good acting in it as well. I think he started to kind of cast um, uh, bigger names in his later work, whereas opposed to like his experimental films with Salvador Dali, like uh, Un Chien Andalou, which of course is the eye slitting film uh, that everyone gets shown in their film studies class. I didn't have that privilege. You what? Yeah. They didn't show you that. No, they didn't. No, they oh, didn't. come on! It's like um, it's like the initiation is like, let's freak you out with a yeah, some slitting that eye with a razor. Oh, isn't film cool? 
we got thrown in on the beautifully deep end of daisies oh daisies that's great when they're kind of bobbing up and down and they, they sound i've only seen a clip from that i'd like to watch the whole thing which experimental film did you do uh we did fallen angels uh one car why have you seen that one? Oh, give it a watch definitely um all right um i suppose as host i shall be wrapping up um yes please do proceed the wrapping yeah all right. Yo, my neck no. <laughs> Actually, no, do that sort of rapping now. It's that sort of uh, podcast. Yeah, I, I, I don't wish to um, uh, hurt anyone's ears. I, I did rap um, Rapper's Delight um, in a karaoke bar in uh, Venice uh, on a school trip in year eight. But that's a story for another time. Uh, that's anyway. a whole other podcast. Yeah, that's that's the difference. Uh, <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Um, that was me and Jay talking about the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. Um, oh no, 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 no! We've got to do the smell of vision. Oh, I'm we calling do. It, I'm calling it that section now because that that's a really good one. It's a it's a jump scare there you've just given everyone. But um, you're welcome. I you're have, very welcome. I'm sure people turn up for this as well because it's probably quite quiet on the. Um, me talking into my computer's like sound hole which is not the best um anyway the film um it quite I, I mean it just smells like um like dense rubber it's a very rubbery film it's very i mean of course there's that scene with the rubber chicken but i think that encompass, encompasses the whole rubbery sort of uh, fake plastic um, synthetic feel of the film and uh yeah, you get the sense it's all a bit of artifice. You know, there we are. That's the, that's the smell of the film. It's got that kind of rubbery whiff. Thank you very much. I don't know what I'd do without that. Mm. Yeah, it's it's going to be every episode. So, um, yeah, there we are. That's, that's mm. yeah. Next, next week, week is um, oh, you 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 say. <laughs> um, Next week, we are going to be moving on from this subtle criticism of society or, or a part of society, and we're going to be looking at a more general stab at, well, pretty much everybody ever. So, Solomon is going to be hosting. He is going to be talking about David Fincher's Seven with us. If you haven't seen it already, somehow. Uh, it's on Netflix at the time of recording, and I believe Prime Video, but. I'm sure it's in your DVD cupboard if you've got one of those. So be there or be in a box. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. All right. Well, yeah, thanks for listening. And um, yeah, goodbye. Thank you very much. Goodbye, everybody. This episode of the Sound of Vision podcast was edited by J. Taylor Jones.